Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. <laughs> Happy Halloween. Hi, I'm Jenny Queen. Welcome to this very special, spooktacular Halloween episode of Baby, It Was Real, and We Were the Best, a podcast unpacking the themes and inspirations behind my new record. It's a little bit Roots, a little bit My Favorite Murder, and a whole lot of its own thing. So, it's Halloween, also known as the most wonderful time of the year. I'm an Amero-Australian, American... Australian, Amaralian, Amaralian, living in Sydney. I'm kind of stuck popping Smarties and binge-watching Hocus Pocus on repeat. Full disclosure, Halloween is my drug of choice. There's this rule in my house, which was set by my partner and obviously not me, that I can't bust out the Halloween decorations until October 1st, which is kind of bullshit. But, you know, they say relationships are based on compromise, so whatever. Um, But come October 1st, it's totally on. And this year, after years and years and years of festooning my apartment with like everything, bunting, lanterns, pumpkins everywhere, I watched the uh, It's the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown for maybe the 90th time. And it clicked. One of the characters in one of the Charlie Brown things yells, that's it. And then the other character flips over. But anyway, my house is decorated exactly like the party in the Charlie Brown cartoon. Um, exactly. And this is either really sweet or kind of embarrassing. Um, and it's wholly accidental. But I'm going to just go with it sweet. <laughs> anyway, why am I a Halloween freak? Well, first... There is the candy, and you get candy. And when you're a little kid, you know, you can't just go and buy candy, so it's a really big deal. And there's this thing going on. You don't get it in Australia. There's this crisp nip of autumn in the air, and it's nighttime, and your folks are letting you run free in packs, like free in packs of children in the streets, and it's one of your first tastes of freedom. And then, you know, there's candy. And you can be whoever you want to be. I was a rock star maybe like three years in a row. And I was a cowgirl for two. And it really is what it looks like in the movies. And at the end of the night, my brother and I would come home and we'd dump out our plastic pumpkins and we'd trade. I unloaded all of my Snickers for all of his bubble gum, and they had this one kind of bubble gum called Double Bubble. And it was like, they took all the sugar in the world and super saturated a solution, and then made it pink and chewy. So it was like triply sweet bubble gum. And it really only stayed sweet for 
I don't know, a couple seconds. <laughs> so you chew it, and it was amazing. And then you'd have to spit it out and get another piece. But it was so good. My brother and I would do the big trade, and it was maybe the only time in the whole year we got along. So that's also like a happy memory. A total Halloween person. It's my thing. It's hard out here for a Halloween-loving great pumpkin believer. I feel like most Australians coming fresh to the holiday find it uncomfortably American and commercial. I can see how a gang of children dressed like zombies or whatever beating on your door and asking for candy can be a little weird, a little unsettling. But I have seriously heard grown-ass adults call it begging, which, I mean, I don't know. Who peed on your plastic pumpkin, you know? So, I reckon... My Aussie friends need a little history, a little context. And for everybody else, it's kind of interesting. So, you know, bear with me. Halloween actually isn't an invention of the American commercial juggernaut. Instead, it's a truly weird mashup of Celtic, Christian, and early pagan festivals. The Celts were celebrating the end of the harvest with bonfires and feasts and lantern processionals, etc., and the reliably spooky Gaelic folk, they had Savane around the same time. Savane, which is spelled like nothing like Savane, it's S-A-M-H-A-I-N. Savane marked the time between the harvest and the beginning of winter. But here's the kicker. Savane was seen as a liminal night. I like the word liminal. Liminal. A liminal night when the veil between this world and the world of the unseen was thin, and it might be breached by spirits or ghosts or the fae. Now, the fae are fairies, and not the kind of fairies with tutu and glittery wings. Do yourself a Halloween favor and read some traditional Irish fairy tales about just how tricksy the fae are. Oh, never mind. I'll do you the favor. So what I did is I looked up some fae folklore, and... What I ended up finding that I can actually read to you because it's open source and I'm pretty sure so long as I cite it, I'm good, is an article in the Irish Times um, written by, oh heavens, Manchin, Mankin, <laughs> Megan, um, March 15th, 2014. It says, for centuries, we Irish have believed in and lived with the little people, by which he means fairies. We've gone out of our way to avoid annoying them, not bringing foxgloves into the house, maintaining fairy forts, etc. Now, it's a given that fairy forts mean something to anyone who reads it, too, which is kind of amazing. Anyway, it's not long since W.B. Yeats was communing regularly with fairies. Our first president, Douglas Hyde, admitted to seeing a strange horse run around a seven-acre field and change into a woman. We all know people who have crossed them and suffered the consequences. Even the ultimate pragmatist, Samuel Beckett, claimed to have spoken with the fairy man in Trinity College's front square. I'm going to go forward for a little bit. But what about now? Does anyone still believe in them? I would have thought not, until my bank manager, while discussing my property portfolio, a shack in some gnarly woodland, asked me whether there, were, there are fairies on the land. I laughed politely, but he insisted that back home in Mayo, their best section of bog was still set aside for them. 
I told this to another bank employee, and she admitted that her aunt had been trapped in a field for a day by fairies until her grandmother broke the spell with a mirror. I'm going to skip ahead a bit, because then he tells a fascinating story about the roads, the road authority. In 1999, the um, road authority had been mired in fairy controversy with the 90 million euro road scheme in County Clare. Um, A folklorist, Eddie Lenahan, had campaigned at the time to save a white thorn bush, which he claimed was an important meeting place for supernatural forces of the region, and warned that its destruction would result in death and great misfortune for motorists traveling on the proposed new road. The NRA ended up rerouting the Ennis Bypass around the tree. So he was checking in with the NRA today to see, like, if they've changed their policy. And he says, the new guy, Sean O'Neill, says, in an unofficial capacity, look, you don't mess with the fairies. In the words of the great Aretha Franklin, respect the fairies. So at least as of 2014, the Irish folks taking are taking fairies very, very seriously. So having given you the current situation in Ireland regarding fairies um, via the Irish Times. I'll take us back to Savane, so way, way back to the pagan times, and people are dressing up in costumes to protect themselves from vengeful spirits or, like, the fae. These Gaelic folk dressed up in costumes. So, like, you know, I'm wearing a mask, and you can't tell it's me. Um, And they also lit bonfires... And lanterns made of gourds and pumpkins uh, to frighten away these dead. They participated in something called a mummer's parade, where they went from house to house, and they would recite verse or sing in exchange for food. And all this stuff is sure starting to sound a lot like proto-Halloween, huh? But, okay, wait. Around the 9th century, the Catholic Church realizes they got a pagan problem. So they begin rolling pagan holidays into saints' days and feast days. And to this end, they move All Souls' Day from May the 1st to November 1st and say, okay, pagans, okay, okay. Now, we're going to replace Savane with All Hallows' Eve. And there you go. Now you're not pagans. You're going to be Catholic. Let's go. I still kept asking myself, like, how did this become so identified with America? And I'm thinking, huh, I don't know. But then I realized, oh, my gosh, the famine, the famine. There was a great, but of course not great at all, famine in Ireland uh, between 1845 and 1849. And because Ireland was still an English colony, and because England, like they are with like all their colonies or were with all their colonies, was totally cool with letting the entire population starve to death. More than one million people emigrated. So America got a ton of Irish, got super lucky, and um, America got Halloween. And because America's America, Halloween is currently a $6.9 billion enterprise annually. (laughs) And I looked this up, and this is totally a shame to me, but Americans are projected this year to spend $450 million on costumes for their pets. Yeah. So they took the thing and they ran with it. Yeah. And the podcast should probably stop there because holy heck. 
And I'm going to tell a personal Halloween story here. It's a thing in America um, where if you're from a particularly religious household that um, like your church will get involved and be like, no, this is a devil's holiday and you shouldn't do Halloween because it's glorifying the devil. And I grew up in a very religious household. And so like for the first however many years, we did Halloween, it was fine. And then my church decided that we weren't going to do Halloween anymore. And it was the devil's holiday. So we started going to church on Halloween for a party there. And we got to dress up as Bible characters. <laughs> and so um, one year I was all dressed up and I had like a toga thing and a pair of scissors. And I went to the stairs like to see my parents. My parents are like, what are you dressed as? And I was like, well, I'm dressed as Delilah. You know, the one that cuts off Samson's hair. And, and they were like, oh, uh, no, no, <laughs> you go back upstairs now. And that's my big um, rebel moment against my bad, um, not bad, my very strict upbringing, which is totally explains everything that came after. Anyway, all of this Halloween stuff that I'm telling you is by way of saying to my Aussie people, this holiday has history, it has depth, and it has true and thrilling oddness, and also glowing pumpkins. And y'all are people who will make tracks to get to a fancy dress party, which we don't really do in the U.S. So like, what's a big deal? You get to dress up. There are lollies. You get to work out some of those back-of-the-brain fears in a safe and cool way. And I think that's kind of a great part of it for kids, too. They walk through skeletons and monsters and spider webs and witches' cauldrons, and they know it's just pretend, and it's kind of like a junior aversion therapy. And I don't know. I think we should all have a big pint of butterbeer and enjoy ourselves. Now that I got this all out of my system, I'm going to go on with this podcast. And, you know, talk about the music. The song featured in this episode is Dark Shadows. It's named after an absolutely bonkers daytime soap opera that aired for five years in the late 60s. Basically proving that everybody was high in those years, the lead character was a vampire called Barnaby? Barnabas? Eh, I'll have to Google that. And the plots included witches, ghosts, zombies and a whole freaking parallel universe again because it was the late 60s and i think maybe lsd and when i wrote this song i was at a songwriting camp wondering you know what could i write that would make absolutely no money at all but seriously my first thought was that like yeah i should write a song named after a 60s soap opera nobody ever heard of and just for funsies i'll drop in a whole bunch of edgar Allan poe references and you know because it was a writing camp there were like four of us in there and like i guess we must have had a group hallucination but when it came time to demo the song two of the guys were <laughs> two of the guys were like oh my god we're professional songwriters and we have just written the least profitable song of our entire careers so they noped out of there and went to the beach and i sang the song and I was still, you know, having a spontaneous hallucination. So I killed it. Best vocal ever. And we used the vocal from the demo in the final mix, which was pretty cool. I had no pressure. That was just me and the producer. He was a super amazing guy. His name's T. Um, and yeah, no pressure. Nobody else in there. Loved the vocal. Used it in the final. I doubt I will ever sing like that again. And with that, I suppose... I bid you a delightfully, devilishly, frightful, and wonderful Halloween. <laughs>
and I'm gonna leave you and here go listen to Dark Shadows Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.